Welcome to 15 Minutes of Fangs and Folklore with your host, Matthew Miller. We give you pint-sized, bite-sized pieces of supernatural monster lore, exploring their origins, their history, and their meaning to the human condition. Listen on, if you dare. <laughs> I'm your host, Matthew Miller, expert on all things monster and paranormal. I'm a horror writer from the dark and haunted swamps of Louisiana, and it's my pleasure to welcome you into my terrifying world. Check out my books on Amazon, beginning with Blood Feud, a punk rock vampire story, which is volume one of the Gravediggers series. The Gravediggers are a punk rock band who keep crossing paths with all sorts of dark, evil, nasty creatures of the night. Horror and comedy all baked into one. And good news, Volume 3 of the series was released just today. It's called Dead Man's Party, a punk rock zombie story. So check it out. Be sure to read Volumes 1 and 2 first so you know what's going on. <clears throat> this is Season 1, Episode 3 of 15 Minutes of Fangs and Folklore, also Part 3 of the Vampire set. And we've looked at the idea of the vampire, some documented cases of vampirism. In this episode, I want to look at some different vampire-like creatures from around the world, in the fourth episode, we'll look at some possible medical or scientific explanations for vampirism. And then in the fifth and final episode of the vampire segment, <clears throat> I want to talk about the vampire myth, get a little philosophical with it. So we've seen a lot of these documented cases of vampirism from Eastern Europe, right? It seems to be a real hotbed, or maybe could say hot coffin, of nocturnal blood-sucking activity. Let's look at some different creatures from around the world. I mentioned in Season 1, Episode 1, that the oldest reference to vampire-like creatures from, comes from an ancient Persian potsherd. A potsherd is a, is a shard from a pot, right? A, a piece of pottery that's been broken. They depict creatures drinking the blood of men. And I got this information from the work of Jean, uh, Jean Marigny, who has devoted his life to studying the myth of the vampire in his book simply called Vampires. But I've been unable to find images of these potsherds so I apologize, I can't tell you the appearance of these creatures, but they were definitely on them, and they were drinking the blood of men. Now, continuing in Mesopotamia and the Middle East, that area, we have the fascinating character of Lilitu from the ancient Babylonians and Sumerians and Assyrians, all having the same legend. Think thousands of years before Common Era, so thousands of years ago. The name Lilitu is probably of <coughs> uh, Babylonian origin. They, they spoke the Akkadian language in that area, so it's probably from that language. You might be familiar with the Hebrew version, which is Lilith. They are, in fact, the same character. And in the Akkadian language of the time, uh, that ancient Middle East, <clears throat> Lilithu means spirit. And there are many stories, legends of this Lilith figure. They have this in common. It is a female spirit, a spirit of the night. Lilith is certainly evil. Lilith is an elemental spirit, meaning she is of the wind and sometimes of the earth, usually of the wind. She drinks blood, especially the blood of children. 
And she operates at night, uh, drinks blood, evil. So we can definitely say she's a kind of vampire-like creature. <clears throat> now, the Hebrew version, Lilith, in the Jewish uh, uh, Kabbalah, which is the kind of mythology of, of the Jewish religion, written by um, mostly rabbis, according to that, she was the first wife that God created for Adam. <clears throat> she resented being made subject to man, being forced to have children. So she rebelled against Adam and God, and she left Eden to wander the world. That Adam you know, was left alone, so God created Eve for Adam as a more suitable wife who would submit to him, who would gladly bear him children to populate the world. And so Lilith resents children and men and God. She drinks the blood of children at night for revenge. And in some versions, she has demon daughters also named Lilith. So this Lilithu Lilith mythology is, is very broad and deep. We could go on and on about this. Some scholars <clears throat> consider her to be the world's first feminist. And though it's interesting, isn't it? Because all those writings were done by men. <laughs> that could explain why she was demonized, right? This idea of a woman who won't fit societal norms, who won't have children and just, you know, cook and clean and keep the house and raise the children. So to men, especially of that era, she represented something hostile, demonic. To feminists, she represents the first liberated woman, right? So Lilith, Lilithu, she, uh, she definitely was a vampire uh, in her characteristics. We have some others from the ancient world, from Rome. <clears throat> we have Ampusa, who is a half-goddess. She's the daughter of Hecate and a male spirit named, uh, named uh, Momo, or Mormo, actually. She would seduce young men and drink their blood while they slept. <laughs> then from Greece, we have Lamia, who was a Libyan queen who turned into a demon and ate children and drank their blood. She was a snake from the waist down. Now let's take a look at some other uh, vampire legends from around the world, not focusing only on the ancient world. There's so many of them that, you know, we can't possibly cover them in 15 minutes, so I've curated a little list for our podcast here. Let's start with Abchanchu. <clears throat> this is from Bolivia. And... This creature appears as a kind old man who needs help. If you help him, well, either you'll get a disease that kills you or he'll drain you of blood. I find this interesting. So, first of all, it associates a vampire not just with drinking blood, but with being a carrier of disease, as we've seen in the European lore. Also, we see this deceiving-like creature. It's, this is seen in uh, myths all around the world, a creature that feigns weakness, preys upon Humankind, humankind's uh, inclination to help the weak and the injured, you know, kind of preys on our kindness. <clears throat> in Ireland, there is a um, legend about a creature named Abhartak. I'm probably not pronouncing that correctly because my ancient Gaelic is not really that great. But uh, there is actually a movie made about this uh, recently that I enjoyed. So this is an ancient Celtic story. It counts as the oldest known European vampire legend, interestingly enough, and it took place in a village called, and again, my pronunciation, Slautaverti. I'm sure that's wrong, but it's in Ireland. And this Abartak was a sorcerer, apparently some, some kind of local leader, maybe not necessarily a king, a chieftain, something like that. And he was a little person with some kind of physical deformity. He uh, suspected his wife of infidelity. So one night, he climbs on the ledge of his house to peek in his wife's bedroom through the window. Keep in mind that in some cultures and times, spouses slept or sleep in different rooms. That, that was the culture of the time. He accidentally fell off the ledge and died. 
But he came back from the dead pretty quickly and started making people in the town cut their hands and bleed into a bowl for him to drink. Uh, he was accused of being a Murbeo, which is ancient Gaelic for a vampire. <clears throat> a brave druid hunted him, stabbed him with a wooden sword. People buried him upside down, covered the graves with ash branches, thorns, and a large boulder, and then a tree grew there. And to this day, uh, people in this town claim they know where that grave is, and it's said that if you go into Slautaverti, the, the village, if you get too close to his grave, he will attack you and drink your blood. Interesting that a very similar legend, almost exactly the same, just with different names, is found uh, in northern England around Alnwick Castle in the, the village of Alnwick. So beware the grave of Abartak. Another vampire-like creature is an Afrit. He's found throughout Africa and Muslim lands. If someone's murdered, his spirit will return to the place where his last drop of blood fell and an Afrit is created. And it's a kind of jinn, right? You know the, 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 the Arab or the, the Muslim or Arab, really, uh, jinn. They're like uh, spiritual creatures, not exactly like Christian demons, but similar. And it, so this uh, Afrit is a type of jinn that looks like a desert sand spout or a tall column of smoke, or just like a stereotypical devil with horns. It drinks the blood of humans, and it can be stopped by driving a nail into the spot where it shed its last drop of life blood that will trap it in the earth. <clears throat> the next one I find really interesting, um, and in fact you'll see an example of this when you buy volume three of the Gravedigger series, you'll see uh, an example of this one called a Kasu. Now that's the name in the Lao or the Laotian language. It has other names too, and it's all over Southeast Asia, this legend. In Tagalog, Philippines, it's called Aswang Mananangal, in Lao, I said it's called Kasu. In Thailand, Krasu. Cambodia is called Op. Vietnam, Malai. I'm sure I'm getting the tones wrong there. Uh, has different names in other areas, but it's the same creature. It's a human woman, and it's always a woman, never a man, who was either attacked by another Kasu or who was tricked into drinking blood by a witch. During the day, this Kasu is a normal girl or woman, but at night, her head detaches from her body and flies around with all of its guts hanging down. Ugh. It feeds on people's blood with a long tube-like tongue. And if it feeds on another girl or woman, she then becomes a kasu. It's said that during the day, when they're in their human form, they have marks on their neck, kind of the place where the neck detaches at night, so they'll wear clothing that hides their neck. So beware, if you're in Southeast Asia, and you come across a girl or woman who seems to be going out of her way to hide her neck, she might be a kasu. The Baital, this is a creature from ancient lore in India, Tibet, Nepal, that area. These were originally a race of vampire gods. People have worshipped them. Uh, it's a half man, half bat with a short tail, and it drinks blood from human skulls. And like the European vampire, it can possess human corpses, bring them back to life. I'm very interested in the ancient Maya people, and they had a sort of vampire-like creature called Kamazots, and it was a god. <clears throat> Some people in Mexico today, descendants of the Maya, still fear this creature. Uh, it, it was a half-man, half-bat. That's interesting, right? Also, this, this idea all the way from India to the Americas, half-man, half-bat, who killed people and drank their blood. And it was a god, too, so they had to make sacrifices to it. To show you that not all European vampires are from Eastern Europe, there's the Chevesh from France. And the Chevesh 
is a French witch who drinks the blood of children, like a vampire. Interesting, it's also the name for a kind of small owl in the, in the region. So maybe the idea of a nighttime predator is how it came to be associated with this vampire-like uh, uh, creature. The chonchon is a creature recognized in the lore of the uh, Araucanian indigenous people in Chile, in South America. The chonchon is created when a person desires to become one. <laughs> he just says, okay, I want to become one. Large ears grow out of your head, and they flap so hard that your head rips from your body, and you fly around drinking blood. Interesting that this is the only vampire legend I, that I've come across yet where it's not a curse that someone else places on you or you're buried improperly or something like that. You just want to become this creature. I don't know why you'd want to, but just by a sheer act of will, you can, uh, can become this. <clears throat> In the ancient Americas also, Chihuacuatl is a vampiric goddess of the Aztec. And uh, the name means a snake woman. <clears throat> she basically wore a, a cloak, and it looked like a snake's hood. She holds a rattle and a serpent in her hands. She's always thirsty for human blood. And this is interesting. She would actually, according to the legend, paint herself in white chalk and wear white and wander around the, town, the streets in the towns of the Aztec people, uh, begging them all to go to war, because when they brought home prisoners of war, they sacrificed them to her. Aztecs, you know, very, well, infamous for human sacrifice. Uh, so that's interesting. <clears throat> in Japan, there's the kappa. It's a vampire-like creature that lives in ponds. It looks like a green child with a long nose and round eyes. It has a turtle's shell on its back, has webbed fingers and toes, and smells like fish. <laughs> so it's a water creature. It has a dent in its head that holds water. And it wants to drink your blood. But the thing, you, the thing about it is it's very polite. <laughs> and so if you see one, immediately bow. It will have to bow back, and the water in that dent in its head will pour out. And that's the source of its power, so you can stop it that way. <laughs> in China, this is one of my favorite because I lived in China for several years. There's the Jiangshi, which if you've ever seen a Chinese kung fu movie, uh, you may have come across the Jiangshu, especially if it's from the movie from the south of China or Hong Kong. It's a kind of combination zombie and vampire. Uh, the lore is vast on this. It, can, it contains many different, uh, you know, legends, some of them conflicting. Uh, why a person becomes a Jiangshu? Well, the thing that they all have in common, basically, is that a person dies and is not buried properly, according to the religion or the ritual, the tradition. Um, <clears throat> the Jiangshu, they always wear the clothing of a Qing dynasty official because their corpses, they're stiff. And so instead of stumbling after you like a Western zombie, they hop <laughs> with their arms straight out in front of them. <clears throat> they do drink blood, but what they really want is your qi, which is your life force or your spirit. They want to, to drink or eat that from you. How do you stop them? Again, there's lots of lore with many, many different ways, some of which are self-contradictory. But one thing that seems to be universal is if you have a magical scroll, a spell written on a scroll, written in chicken's blood, if you can somehow paste that onto their forehead, they'll immediately stop and kind of be frozen, and they can't move. And it's not very clear if you can kill them, ultimately, or if you can stop them forever. You can stop them you know, from approaching you. You can make them freeze on the spot. But it's really unclear if they can be killed. 
And uh, if, if, you've, <laughs> if you've ever seen these movies, you'll laugh because you know what I'm talking about. They hop around on stiff legs, right? <clears throat> There's a lot more of these we could look at. But I just picked a few that I find interesting. It is fascinating to me that all around the world there's legends of creatures who drink blood. Uh, some of them are strange and different, but they all have some things in common. So including the European ones, what do they have in common? Well, they're almost always reanimated corpses, right? Dead people who rise from the grave. They feed on human blood, sometimes the blood of children exclusively, but human blood. They operate at night, not during the day. And almost always they can be stopped through the use of particular items, either items from nature, because vampires are considered nature spirits, earth spirits. So a certain kind of wood, like ash wood, or by magic, like the Chinese jiangshu, or by holy actions or holy objects, like uh, the Western idea of the vampire. All those things seem to be in common, you know, the kind of the basic root of the vampire lore. Hmm, what do you think? Do you know any vampire stories from around the world? Did you find those interesting? Next time, what we're going to do is explore possible scientific explanations for vampirism. When they dug up those bodies that were fresh and bleeding and uh, looked like they just had a nice full meal, is there an explanation for that that precludes vampirism and the supernatural? Can we just come up with a natural scientific explanation for that? Possibly. We're going to take a look. So thank you for listening to 15 Minutes of Fangs and Folklore with me, your host, Matthew Miller. Please join us next time as we continue to explore the vampire.